he died, they baptized his body when he was dead. And the LDS Church has done that for many famous Jews. Like, Wait, who was your grandfather? Sholem Aleichem. He wrote Fiddler on the Roof. No way. Yeah. yeah. Sholem Ivanovich. Uh, he wrote Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah. The, the, the playwright. Play. Yeah. Get out. Where was she from? Uh, Kiev. And in Russia? Yeah. So was my grandmother. Maybe they knew each other. That'd be awesome. She's dead. Uh, so, but once you're dead, they can do whatever they want. It doesn't mean nothing. Not legally, though. Um, like, my grandfather sued them in, like, 19... 74 back then for like three million dollars and he donated it to this country of israel at the time why do you show the mormon yeah because they excavated his father oh oh so it was your great-grandfather yeah 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 what do you mean they asked they went to a cemetery without the permission of anybody yeah yeah how many years after your great-grandfather was dead uh like 20. Roughly, I'm not sure on the exact numbers. Oh, but would wouldn't there be nothing left up there? But just I, th I think uh, I think bones still stay there. I, I don't know with coffins, they keep bodies preserved pretty good. Especially from the what way Jews wrap their bodies. It's yeah. almost like a mud, mud. I'm gonna get cremated. I think it's against the religion. There are tattoos, sir. No, they're not. That's <laughs> bullshit. Because if that's the case, if defacing your body, then any Jew with a facelift or a nose uh, job. Or any type of plastic surgery. Any type of plastic surgery could not get into a Jewish cemetery. So that whole tattoo is how can you, you know, defacing your body is doing anything to yourself. Ear piercing is defacing your body. And as, as much as funeral uh, parlors and cemeteries and people are hurting, they're not turning anybody away now. <laughs> I just, you know, I just fucking had to bury my brother. It cost me a lot of money, and believe me, they're I'm sorry not, to hear that. What I had to pay? Yeah, me too. <laughs> you, me too. I do a whole new bit on it. it a year and a half ago, but I do a, you know, I didn't cry after the funeral. I, I never cried. I have no emotion. Uh, it's all I have anger and resentment and jealousy and envy I, I, I'm good with those I didn't cry but then when I played Bel Air Country Club and I and I played horrible I was in my car crying so I came up with an epiphany I love golf <laughs> <laughs> I love golf you have the greatest golf outfits ever I want to see a new one I wore the other yeah. day hold on uh, no it's not I'm looking at these broads checking in these Mormon broads yeah, that's a good way. Call them broads, yeah. There you go. There you go. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's the one I saw. With the knickers? Yeah. <laughs> you have that on Twitter, don't you? Oh, yeah. At Rich Voss, yeah. Oh, wow. Wow, so your grandfather, after writing great-grandfather, uh, Fiddler on the Roof, did that, I mean, he must have, if, if he was a playwright, he, he's had to have written other plays besides. Oh, I that. think he's written somewhere around 70 playwrights and novels and but he didn't make any money. It wasn't in that period of time where yeah. you made generational wealth. Yeah, well, but the family made money after. I mean, they made, they yeah, made no, a they movie all, and they, a play on Broadway. They all donated it to... Um, to Israel? What's the word when you create something and then you give it to the world, kind of like the internet? Uh, Stupid. Bequeath. Bequeath. <laughs> Bequeath. <laughs> <laughs> Tax write-off. <Yeah. laughs> There's something yeah. where you gift an intellectual property to the world and no mm -hmm. one can make a monetary value on it. 
Well, yeah, Jonas I mean, Salk did that with the yeah, uh, polio. yeah with polio the polio vaccine yeah he Actually, gave it away for free instead of charging for it I was, that was a, a Jew that came up with a polio vaccine yes sir yeah you're not Jewish right? no not at all sir. what are you Puerto Rican I, <laughs> I get that a lot I'm half Jamaican half Irish that's what I thought yeah <laughs> I was going for the easy route yeah. uh, so well I mean don't you know if if you put out uh, music or or comedy, or any type of art, you're donating to the world. You know, when you're putting your stuff out there. Correct. Yeah. You know, an artist is. You know, I mean, you're making money on it, but you're not making. You know what I mean? And once it goes out there, it goes out there. So, Jerry Garcia in the Grateful Dead did a very interesting thing. As I'm sure you might know the story. Well, no, but they were the first band I ever saw. They played for five hours. I go, they ever gonna stop? I'm sober now. No, I wasn't sober then. That was in Philly. Spectrum. Go ahead. So they would build a giant soundboard. We should tell the people who who you have on first. Oh, Mr. Rich Voss. Oh, how Mr. Are Rich you, Voss. Yes. Thank you so much for joining. Thank us. you for having me. I'm a huge fan of you. Thank mm. you. Yeah, you're Thank phenomenally you. funny. At times. Your wife too. She's she's very funny. Bonnie McFarland. Yeah. So what, what did Garcia... What did so they would build a giant soundboard and allow everybody in the stadium, if they had the equipment, to plug into the board. And they could then own that copy. And then the way the Grateful Dead would make money is, especially down the road, is they would remaster those shows and then release them. But for a long time, through the 70s up until now, people would just trade tapes back then and now they trade MP3s throughout the internet. Well, well wait a second. Mm -hmm. A soundboard, like, so Joe Schmo, first of all, people that were going to see the Grateful Dead were not carrying soundboard equipment. Some of them were. But those people were professionals. They weren't the kids that were hitchhiking across country. And Correct. They weren't real deadheads. Dead yeah. They were, they were uh, business, business, businessmen or, you know, probably somebody that was, you know, some kid, like when I saw the dead or anything, I didn't know anything about it. Never heard that. So you had to be in the music business somehow, probably, to know that, right? And have the money, because especially oh, back, back in that time, equipment was very expensive. So, how? okay, say 200 people came. How many people could plug into a soundboard, do you think? And this is really stupid. Why does it not even matter? I'm like, that's <laughs> say, a dumb say, Why am I arguing about a dumb soundboard? <laughs> it's so dumb. What a, my wife today is the dumbest question. It and really you realize I'm a dumb guy, right? <laughs> What's that? I'm a dumb guy. I wouldn't know these. Yeah, things. but it's so stupid. Who cares how many people plugged into a soundboard to a band where the lead singer's been dead for how many years, you know, and he ended up making ties. Yeah, I have a huge collection of those ties. My mom was a diehard fan. She just, she'd yeah. buy them at thrift stores. I saw, they were the first band I saw, and then I saw them with the Allman Brothers. Uh, we hitchhiked to D.C. from uh, Jersey. We used to always go to Con We used to... Like run away from home, and I remember one year, me and Dave, uh, we ran away and uh, and we went to the Pocono Raceway. It was the Pocono Ten Raceway concert. Look it up on the internet. Pocono Raceway, uh, 1974 maybe concert. I mean, Emerson Lake and Palmer was there. Bad Finger. Uh, you know, it was it wasn't Woodstock, but it was Woodstock. It was three days. I remember doing Quaaludes. And just started raining, and I was in, in a, under a, 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 a makeshift tent with a bunch of bikers. Mm -hmm. 
they just for somehow like me or something. And, you know, we just were high as hell and floated around this concert and hitchhiked home. You, the you think the music was better back in the 70s, early 80s? Well, I mean, the music I listen to when I'm in the car, I put on 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. You know, Motown or, you know, I love, you know, Temptations and Screams. You can't get any better than that. But I love stuff like, you know, Cat Stevens. And I like good, I, I like voices over instruments. Mm. You know, Neil Young, you know, Coffee Sales American, Credence, you know. So I'll always go with voices over, over, you know, you know, over, over, you, over instrument. You know, you, you know, you get someone like Hendrix, who's the greatest guitar player, one of them, you know, it doesn't do it for me as much as, uh, Yes, you know, when they would sing songs like Your Move or Close to the Edge, The Who, I love The Who, you know. And, and I guess without the music, without the instruments, the music wouldn't, wouldn't pop, obviously. But you could take somebody like The Temptations or Diana Ross, and you don't even need music behind them. Or The Four Tops, mm -hmm. or, you know, or Carol King, or Cat Stevens. You don't even need pretty much the music, because their voices are so good. So that's, you know, I listen to that any day of the week. I, you, I couldn't even tell you a band after probably 19. I don't think you need to. I, I think a lot of the music now is it's completely fake. It's written by other people. Yeah. They've got fake instruments most of the time, and then they dub their voice because they don't have an instrument in their, yeah. their voice. I mean, I don't know. I, like, I've heard one or two songs by Adele. She has a great voice. That's all I know. The, the famous song. Sure. Yeah. You know, uh, my daughters love Taylor Swift. I couldn't tell you one song. Mm -hmm. My seven-year-old loves Taylor. Loves Katy Perry. She's seven. My twenty-year-old loves Taylor Swift. You know, she's twenty-two. If I'm in a car, I'm most likely listening to talk radio, Howard or Opie or or golf, the golf channel. So once in a while, if I'm hitting music at the sixties or seventies, you have a podcast. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. A very yeah. funny podcast. You do it on Sirius Satellite Radio? No, 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 no. It's a radio show we do on Sirius. Okay. A podcast we do at home. Fair enough. Do you listen to yourself back? Do you listen to your show back? Never, ever. We did 100, we've done 175 podcasts uh -huh. from our house. I've never listened to one. I might have listened to a minute of one. We've done, for about a year, we've been on radio. The radio show is based on our podcast. It's called My Wife Hates Me. Yeah. But we take calls and have guests. Uh, I have heard some of those back in my car Sunday driving home from gigs, Sunday morning, and they replay our Tuesday night radio show. And I've heard that. And I hate listening to myself. I hate it. Nobody wants it? to hear the, Well, one, because I slur sometimes. I have a speech impediment. I hate that. Two, I just don't like hearing my voice. I hate my laugh. You have, see, as a fan of the ONA show, a fan of yours, I've listened to you hundreds of times throughout the years. And I enjoy your voice. I enjoy what you say is a speech impediment. Yeah. I think it's unique. I think it's interesting. But you also have a deep voice that, that's meaningful and you have Rich. a soul. Yeah. And so I bring this up because... That's because my trouble was cut when I was young. <laughs> Go ahead. I bring this up because we were talking about singers and songwriters who had a great voice or an instrument you know, yeah. that was their voice. But you have that too with being on stage and being a radio guy or a podcast guy, do you practice your voice? Do you Never. worry about your voice? No, no. not at all. Are you kidding me? I, 
put five cocks in my mouth at once. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, I, no, I don't. I don't worry about it. No, I mean I've done shows where the mic has gone out, and I just did the show. You know, it depends. You know, if it's a uh, 150 people, you know, if it's a theater, I couldn't do it. But if it's a comedy club. I could do it without, I don't need a mic. I know how to project from the stage. Uh I do like to talk softly into the mic because it it draws people in. If I sit down and I talk, people, I suck them into it. So you're making them lean in towards you a little bit? Well, not physically and emotionally. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, say say Dane Cook went on before me, very energetic guy. You know, very energetic, funny guy. I would sit down and be as low key as I possibly could without being, you know, to get, because I can't follow that energy. I have my own energy. So, you know, and I, I'm just me, you know. So you bring it back down to yourself. I bring it to me. Whenever, you, whoever I'm following, whoever goes on before me. Was that a learned behavior or did someone teach you that or well, I learned I figured you know you, you find out how who you're on stage how well you do I mean when I first started I was I didn't know why I'm running around like Robin Williams one week the next week I'm deadpan like Stephen Wright you yeah. know and then yeah. one week I got props you know what the fuck a couple in the beginning a couple I did you know but that's all in the beginning then it takes time and then you know like to me you you get you grow and get better through life experiences. When you talk, I mean, there's other comics that are just writers that are great. You know, they just write jokes. But there's 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 you know nowadays the comedy in New York is just a bunch of good uh, joke writers. Yeah. You know, you don't really know a lot about them. You know, they. You know, I guess a good example of a great uh, joke writer. And persona would be uh, uh, a mm-hmm. Like he's a great joke writer, but it's also him talking. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of guys and girls now, you can close your eyes, and to me, it's all the fucking same. You know, the same. You don't know anything about them. Is it because they didn't have the same type of peers that you grew up with? Because you really grew up in one of the great. Comedy periods with Chris Rock and Seinfeld and Jim Norton and Patrice If you put that little flabby <laughs> fucking no pigment fuck Norton in that category with me and Patrice, okay? Uh, all right, that fucking jellyfish of a human, okay? Fat skinny cocksucker. Um, he fucking grew up with us, okay? He grew up with me. You know, our crew was, I didn't, we didn't hang with Seinfeld or, or Chris. Now we sit at the table with them, but our crew was me. And this is, I mean, first our Jersey crew was me and Norton, Florentine. Mm-hmm. Then I started working in New York City mm-hmm. before that, because I was doing it a while. Then I got into Caroline's, the main club in New York. I mean, I already worked a little in New York, but everybody knew me because I was already doing it for 10 or 12 years or 50, you know on the road and working with New York acts on the road and doing all the one-nighters in Jersey where all the New York acts would come in 
you know, it was tons of women, and I'd work with all of them. So then I started working in New York. When I, you know, when I was married to my first wife, I had to make money, so I do tons of road gigs. Mm-hmm. And one night, I didn't get, I didn't go into New York and fucking do the showcase clubs. I had to make a living. I had two kids. Then when I got divorced and separated from my first wife, I had more time. So then I started going into New York regularly, and I and I I I, I got into Caroline's the main club first. And then every other club was easy, you know. And then Norton and Florentine started coming in. We'd go in together and hang out. Me and Norton used to just go and hang out. Sometimes we'd go after shows and just sit below the World Trade Center, just looking at them. They were so, you know, we were amazed by these two fucking buildings, you know. Uh, one or me and Norton would go. We'd go feed the rats. Uh, <laughs> what we would do is like in New York, you know, between streets they have like uh you know plants and uh you know like an island of of shrubbery and plants and flowers and whatever so that you know and there was one place like by where 78th and that broad whatever and we pull our car up and you know and then we would throw uh we get uh peanut butter candy reese's cups and, and we would throw them on the ground from the window of our car and 20 and 30 rats would come scurrying out. And we, we took uh, Scrooge one night from Saved by the Bell. Yeah. We said, you want to go feed rats with us? And we took him. Dustin Diamond. Yeah, we took Dustin. <laughs> and we took this other company. I went on a date one night with this girl. This is no, I'm not fucking bullshit. She was in town with a friend. Yeah. And they had a hotel room together. And I was kind of dating, just seeing her. So her friend went out with like this guy who was probably one of the richest people in the whatever to some high class restaurant. You know, he was taking her to whatever. You know, like if, if there was a polo club, they went to the polo club. You know what I mean? It's just whatever they went to. So I took the girl I was going out with. Uh, we went out and had fucking falafels or something. Then I had two passes to a sex club. And we went there and we watched people jerk off. And I said, then I took her to go feed the rats. I said, come on, you want to come with me and feed the rats? And uh, and then we went and I showed her how to feed the rats. And then we went and fooled around. So as much money as that other guy had and did with her friend, I guarantee we had more fun doing what I did with no money. Falafels, sex club, and feeding the rats. Really? So how did so did you? When did it stop? Like when did you start feeling like yourself on stage? When did you stop trying to adopt other personas? Oh, years ago. I mean, I. I guess yeah. I guess when I started working in New York more. You know, just time. You know, after my kids, as I got more into sobriety and recovery. So just with age or with experience? Yeah, so with age and experience. You know, I, you're always still trying to find out. Uh, can you keep these little fucking, uh, Jesus Christ, you were in fucking Tokyo. <laughs> uh, you know, you can't tell a family to keep it down. I hope they fucking, 
I hope they karate kick your partner. <laughs> I hope they beat your partner's ass. <laughs> me <laughs> too. Well, that would have been great. You want to tell all your Japanese family to shut up and chop you in your fucking half a Puerto Rican head. That would have been, I would have loved that. That would have made my day. Oh, Mine too. See this Jamaican guy crying on the ground. A little Japanese guy taking advantage of him. And the kids kicking him. <laughs> uh, so it just came with experience. Yeah, just I don't know. You're always learning and writing and creating. You know, I I work with comics and do the same shit they've been doing. You know, I got to start putting down my fifth CD. I just I've had my fourth CD now, which finally being sold to Sirius. So I never I didn't I didn't put it online. It's been done for about I don't know a couple months. You know, there's stuff on it from Hurricane Sandy because uh-huh. I never released it. It's funny. It's fucking funny. And uh, now Sirius is buying it out, right? They're going to buy it. And uh, I just uh, shot an hour myself. We just finished editing it. And we got to put it together. We just uh, shot the beginning and the ending the other day. Really fucking funny. It's called uh, They Call Me Legend. (laughs) And uh, rightfully so. Well, so, you know, you create your own stuff, you keep writing and growing. I've been stagnating for like the last, I don't know, probably since my last CD came out. I've been taking it easy because, you know, we did two, I'm going to fucking hurt somebody Uh, because we did, people should not be having fun. We did, uh, you know, we shot a couple of pilots, Bonnie and I. We released our movie, you know, so I just, for like eight months, I haven't, I've just been going out stage doing well, yeah. but I haven't really been coming up with new material. And I got lazy, so I now I got to start writing and do another hour. And I got four CDs, but you can't stop, you got to keep going. I could go, I could go on stage and never do another, write a new joke and still kill. Mm-hmm. But then I'd fucking be bored to death. You know, and I get repeat customers too, so we got to keep coming up with new stuff. You know, when they, when, they, when uh, you know, people go see the Stones, they want to hear satisfaction. When they come see me, they don't want to hear about, you know, my fucking eight-year-old daughter that's 25 now. <laughs> yeah. See, I think exception to that, because Johnny and I have worked on a documentary before, and it was around-the-clock filming, it was around-the-clock writing, it was around-the-clock filming. And I watched your movie, and it's a beautiful movie. It's well written. It's thank you. It, the lighting's good. The interviews are good. So Bonnie directed it. That's because of Bonnie. Go ahead. I'm but you can't tell me that that project was a lackadaisical project, or that it didn't take much effort. Because I don't oh, believe it. Oh no, that took a lot of effort. Yeah, it took years. Yeah, it took, it took flying back and forth to L.A. and interviewing people. And, and the we shot with four different cameras. We didn't know. We never made a fucking movie. So. Uh, we, you know, we made mistakes and editing was tough, you know, and Bonnie edited, Bonnie transcribed 60 hours of, or 70, 60 to 70 hours of uh, film, sure. documented yeah, everything, legally. documented yeah. everything on paper and turned 60, 70 hours into an 80 minute movie. You know, we cut out a lot of stuff. We cut out a lot of people. You know, we, we interviewed Chris Rock for 20-some minutes. Mm-hmm. We kept three lines, maybe, four lines, because that's what fit into the movie, you know. Uh, was that hard for you and your wife? Well, she did most of the editing, and I, I mean, I looked at some of it. I, I you know, I gave her some ideas, uh, 
you know, my job with producing, I, I got most of the talent, mm-hmm. financed most of it, set up, locate, you know, and uh, just helped her with, but editing, I, she was on top of all of that. Every now and then I'd give a note, and she'd either say yes or no, but most of the times I was, I knew what I was, I had a vision, but she really has a vision. You know, she was shooting stuff a year before we were going to even put it in the movie, knew where it was going to go a year before, you know. When she came out of the fields, that was shot in the beginning, but she knew that was going to be in there down the road. Sure. So she has a great vision. Do you enjoy being on movie or television sets? Like you were just on Anthony Bourdain's show and he was in New Jersey. That was great. It was beautiful. But I imagine that that was either a very long day or a very long couple of days. No, that was the easiest TV I've ever done in my life. Really? We walked into the pizza, to the Italian restaurant. We got there. This was the easiest. There was no prep. No, I don't even know if we had makeup. I don't even think we had makeup. Uh, we walked in, I had a slice of pizza. He came in 15 minutes later, we sat down, ordered dinner, and shot it. Hmm. Boom. Then we went over to the comedy club, shot a few minutes there, done. That was the easiest one. Okay. I've, I've worked on uh, Rock's, Chris Rock's movie Top 5. I was on the set for 20 days. That's fun, and that's a long. those are long days too. You know, sitting there, writing and punching up scripts. Were you all but, collaborating when you were doing that, or no? We were just just punching up your own lines. Well, if I saw something, I would throw it to him. There was a couple of comics I said, "He's smart. He's brilliant. He puts comedy. He brings comics because comics have a diff- different, you know, vision than uh, you know." And they can ad lib. Well, we're not. I'm not ad libbing. Okay. I'm not. I'm not. I see a scene. I go, well, "Why don't you throw this in? Or throw that in?" He'll go, "Yes or no." Uh, another kind, you know, we weren't hired by the studio. Chris will hire us. And he's smart to do that because, you know, he has different eyes on him, especially when he's directing and starring in a movie. There's a lot going on in his fucking head. So if he has, you know, two comics and another director there, and I see something, I bring it to him. You know, and if Chris likes it, he does it. If he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't. He's never mean. He's one of the best guys I've ever to work for. And I've seen... How, how good he is with other actors when he's directing. He's just, a, he's just a good guy. You know, I'm sure actors, you know, get yelled at all the time from him. I don't know, I'm never on those type of movies. One of the things that I often struggle with is working on television sets or something <clears throat> like that. I have a camera guy who gets who doesn't like me or is worried about my age and taking their spot down the road or you know talking to a director and quote unquote not having the ability to talk to a director because I'm not high enough on the chain have you had experiences with that with comedy bookers with dealing with stuff where well, I mean look when we were on Chris's set I was sitting next to one of the biggest producers in Hollywood and I, I didn't bring anything to him. I went through the right channels. Mm-hmm. I talked to him. There was times he said, that's funny to me. Or we'd have conversations. But I never, because it wasn't my place to talk to him about tomorrow. My job was to punch up. Mm-hmm. You never pitched to him? Never. Not once, not to the producer. That's uh, an important rule. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's there working on a movie. I, I'm not going to go in and, you know, 
what am I going to pitch to him? Now, his, his partner or associate, I sent him a script, you know, a year and a half later, I'm friends with it. Not with the producer, I would never, you know, I would send it to the right. When we were at the Oscars, working at the Oscars, I wouldn't walk up to Chris as he's hosting, I would send it to the right. If I had a line at the Oscars backstage, I would send it to the head writer and he would take it to Chris during break, Chris would use it or not. But I wouldn't walk up to Chris at the Oscars. Now when we're taping a movie, or we're shooting a movie, be, you know, they're cutting between scenes and I go, well, maybe do it this way, maybe say this, maybe that. And that's after he talks to whoever he's got to talk to, then you go pitch it. So no, I, I mean, I know what I got to do when I got to do it. That's all. Does that make sense? No, it does. Do, do you, would you, if you go and do an open mic somewhere? I love doing open mic. Is there one tonight? Anywhere? Thursday? I wonder if there's one. Uh, Thursday, I'm not too sure. I can check after. Yeah. yeah, I'll go do an open mic tonight. If you have a guy or a lady that's just an open micer, never featured, never headlined, and they come up to you and ask for advice or anything like that, are you open to that conversation, or Sometimes, is there a pecking order? I mean, no. I talk to. I, I try to help new comics. You know, they email me. I give them advice or do whatever. But you can't tell experience. You can't, all you can do is say, get up on stage as much as you can and be original. Mm -hmm. That's basically it. Be original. Do comedy whatever the fuck you can do it, as much as you can do it. Be original, you know. And what else can I really tell them? Don't fucking, you know, hit anybody in the front row with a mic stand. That's <laughs> you know, don't fuck the club owner's wife. That never helps. Yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah, you try. You know, I get people send me scripts and they say, I don't read them. I just send them. I say, no, we got enough of our own stuff. And, you know, and go, oh, do you want jokes? I don't know. Because someone sends you jokes, you don't even know if they stole them from someone else. Right. Yeah. How do you know where they got them from? And then I do one all of a sudden it's somebody else's joke from the Midwest that I never saw. So, uh, so you don't buy jokes? I don't take stuff. No, if I'm working on a roast and uh, I might ask someone to help me write or punch up, you know, uh, or I'll go to Bonnie, you know, or she'll go to me. We did a roast last week for uh, Big, uh, Big J. We, you know, I helped do it a couple of times. So, no, I don't take stuff, but I try to help as much as I can. I'm an asshole to new guys as much as I can, too, because they're thin-skinned. To train them up? Well, they're a bunch of babies. They're pussies nowadays. Fucking, you know, just... Why is that important? Why is it important to, like, break balls and because toughen them up? Because it's fucking, look at, you're in a business where you're going to deal with fucking rejection on a daily fucking basis. You're going to, you, you know, this is not a business... Yeah, of course people get hurt, people are jealous, and people, um, you know, deal with, you know, uh, fucked up club owners, fucked up hookers, fucked up comics, you know, but you gotta, it's just, it's a tough business, you know, you're only competing against yourself, and I come from the background of ball busting, even before I was a comic, my neighbor, that's all we did. In working for yourself, was it hard not to sabotage yourself? What do you mean? Uh, showing up to the club drunk. Uh, well, I mean, I got sober after my third year in comedy. Uh -huh. 
my first few years, I was Okay, so for to not relapse or not to make poor decisions, any because it's tough to become successful in this world on this earth. Well, success lies within what he, what the person considers success. I think I'm, I've had success. I think I left my mark in this business. If I stop now, I think I've done enough. Uh, sobriety and this business are two different things. Sobriety. I have to be sober to do anything in life, else I'll die. Because I'm not, you know, I'm not so fucking wink at weekend, have a beer guy. I'm yeah. gonna go fucking smoke up enough fucking coke to blow my brains up. And I got enough money now where <laughs> when I was a drug addict, I had no money. You know, this watch right here can, can kill me if I sober. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's not, I made a decision when I got sober. I have to, stay, you know, I surrendered to my to my disease of addiction, and I lost. So it, it didn't, you know. And I don't know. I mean, I drank. I was an alcoholic, but I was a drug addict. I don't know if I could do comedy if I walked into a club and they were all smoking freebies. I might not be able to handle that. I know I can handle watching people drink. I don't like drugs, but I can handle it. Even though I was an alcoholic, it wasn't my drug of choice. Now. I don't go out and have fuel with people. I don't go to parties. I don't put myself in those positions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I had maybe three months sober, I remember just had, I was working in Florida and I picked up this waitress. She was so fucking hot. I mean, I can't tell you. And then I had two or three months sober. She pulls out a bag of Coke. It had to be a quarter of seven grams. And I go, you got to get out of here. And I fucking. I curse. I got. I, I'm sorry. I, I curse too much for you talk. Uh, <laughs> but you know, sobriety. If I if I was sober, I'd be dead. So yeah, and I wouldn't have a, my kids and my wife and my house and my cars and my sanity. I'd be in a mental institution or dead or jail. Because I've struggled with sobriety issues in the past mostly with weed and alcohol nothing too not I didn't go over that much just because I didn't like it but you know I lost a tennis scholarship because I was filled out and I was smoking weed and screwing yeah. girls and getting drunk every single night and trying to continue this illusion of running six miles a day and lifting weights and at some point it just came to an end you know coach pulled it and but I knew going into that day where I met with coach that I was screwing up and I couldn't stop myself. Well, then you get help. Yeah. A lot of people can't stop themselves and that's why there's 12-step programs yeah. or there's rehabs, there's counseling, you know, I mean, it's a powerful thing. So people, there's so many people out there that want to stop drinking and getting high. They don't want to. They just don't know what to do. You don't know. I didn't know. And luckily, I found this rehab, and I went. You know, and, and, and you know, everybody doesn't have to go to rehab. There's 12-step programs throughout the world that you can go to. You pick up a hotline, and you look, you look for a 12-step program. You look for AA or NA or, or Gamblers Anonymous or Overeating Anonymous, and you just go. And it's tough in the beginning because you you're scared, and fucking that's all you know is. Is how to drink or get high. That's your job in life, even though you might work. Your real 
your real goal is how do I keep it up? And so there's people that just don't know, but there is there is hope for anybody that wants to stop from getting high. There's hope. Just go to a 12-step program. Call somebody. Ask your priest. Ask your rabbi. Ask somebody. They'll, they'll direct you. D- did comedy help you get sober? Like, because you said you were three years in, right? Did... I mean, I had nothing to do with it. Nothing. Nothing. I just wanted to live. Wow. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to go to jail. You know, I was. I mean, I was doing it for three years, but how? I, mean, I stunk. I was good, but I stunk. I was good for three years. A little fucking hacky, but uh, it was either you know I was just doing comedy to make money and party with other comics. Uh, so it was a whole it's a whole separate thing mm. you know I could have been a stockbroker I could have been you know whatever musician anything it's just either you get sober or you die or go to jail or in that house unless you're a social drinker there are social drinkers and there are social drug users but once you cross that fine line between social use and addiction once you cross it, there's no turning back. You'll never, you could be an addict, you can kid yourself, but you're never going to be a social drinker addict again once you cross that line. Do you remember when you crossed the line? Uh, no, I guess most likely when I started smoking three days. Yeah. Probably. But I was getting high all the time before that. But I didn't have to. Once I started free mm-hmm. base, I didn't physically have it, I mentally did, because it wasn't a physical addiction. So, so I don't want to keep you here too long, but I know Johnny and I's one of our old favorite comedians was Patrice O'Neill. And what, what were your thoughts on his comedy? Because you he looked up to you as a big brother, from what I understood. He looked up to me? That's what I heard. That's what from I heard. who? From him. He said that? Yeah. He did. Uh, <laughs> no. We looked up to each other, all of us. All, I remember one time, making Patrice laugh was the best feeling in the world. It was great. I remember I was doing a show at Boston Comedy Club. And I was talking to this girl in the audience. And I asked her, I was talking to her about where she went to school. And she was talking about the school she went to. And there's really no classes. You know, you decide where you go to or, you know, in music and arts and this and that. And I said something like, who was your principal, Billy Jack or something? And, and he, all you heard was his loud laugh in the back. Because he's the only one that got, that he went to some hippie school. Right. I don't know if you ever saw Billy Jack, but that's what the school was. So, so when you heard his laughter, it just generated throughout the room. Yeah, controlled it. And me and him used to, like if we were doing shows, if I was hosting it, then he would go on, and then he would go in the back of the room, and I, and I started fucking with the audience. He would yell, "What's wrong with you?" And we'd go back. Like it was so funny. He go, "Jesus, Rick!" Like I said to the, a guy in the audience, "Look at the size of your eyes," and he go, "Jesus, maybe he has us." Whatever. It is. <laughs> then I go to another guy. Uh, how old are you? And he goes, Jesus, maybe he has picture, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, but it was so fucking funny. We had so much fun. So much fun. And his material, I mean, 
I really didn't listen to his like after he after he was like when he was getting more into the relationship stuff. I really didn't listen to that material. I did radio with him. I hung out with him, but I didn't sit watch him. You know, do that. You know, to me, I I knew him as when he was doing this stuff about you know throwing the Pepsi can on, on the dead body <laughs> that material, and then he found his voice as some kind of like sex therapist kind the of Phillips show. Yeah. Yeah. And and I really well one, because we weren't working together really. He was headlining here, I'm headlining here. The only time we get together is if we were hanging out after a show or on radio or at a barbecue or whatever. You know what I mean? So and his news, you know, his C D Elephant in the room. Or yeah, something? that was yeah. the that was the one he released before he died. I couldn't. Yeah, but that's the one. That was what was the one. Mr. P. Was we wore the, the hat. Mr. P. Right. Yeah, I think so. With yeah. the cover, he's on the city. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. P. I got that hat. They gave me the hat. Oh really? I got the hat at home in my closet with all my other dead comics memorabilia. Uh, I I can't listen to the CD just because I'm too depressed. Yeah. One because I miss him, and two because he's so fucking good. I don't want to fucking yeah. get jealous. <laughs> I, I just, I miss him. You know, the other day we're at the cellar and Keith walked in with his big, I go, and I, the first second that I thought it was Patrice, you know. And I had a dream like two weeks ago. You couldn't be any more real. You know, he was in the dream. Uh, I was so mad at him. We were doing radio and he just was a loud fucking asshole. <laughs> and doing Opie. Which I was the first one to bring him in there. And then when I brought him in to Obi Anthony, he fucking trashed me. So he said I was walking him in like we're in Goodfellas, going through the back and stuff. He fucking laid down. I, I brought you here, you fucking asshole. And he just, it was so funny. So we're doing Obi Anthony one day, and he's trashing me. Talking about my fucking car. I just want to have a Porsche. He goes, you fucking, you're, he's calling me selfish because I have a Porsche. <laughs> and he's trashing my Rolex. I'm going, how do you trash a real Rolex? You're wearing a, a crappier watch than me. He was wearing a Breitling. My Rolex was better than his Breitling, but somehow he found a way to trash my Rolex. And, and I'm, I'm driving home fuming. I'm going, I'm selfish in a Porsche. He drives a big Escalade because he can't stop eating fucking pies. And he's wasting gas. Right? And he had whatever car. And I had a Porsche. And he's trashing Two days later, I'm online and I'm looking at what my car costs new compared to his yeah. and all the different. And I send him this text of comparisons and he calls me fucking laughing. He goes, you're still thinking about this? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, you're, he was, you're still thinking about I go, you fucking asshole. He goes, Jesus, let it go. Right? <laughs> and he started laughing. And I started cracking up. And then like our house, when our house burnt down. We're staying in a hotel, and I remember he called me, I think it was two nights before the Charlie Sheen was. And I was talking, I must have talked to him for two, an hour and a half, two hours, we're on the phone talking. I went downstairs even, because my wife and kid were going to bed. So I went outside, and we're talking about the roast and material, and just different stuff. He, did, he didn't want to do it, did he want to do it? And you know, we just were talking as, Whatever, I gave him one line that he used on the roast. Whether he used it or not, didn't matter. He killed. That's what yeah. the talk was about. It was just a long talk about, you know, and I remember one night, and that was 
And then after that roast, I don't know how long, how many times I saw him after that. I, I just don't remember. And then one night before anything happened for any of us, I was taking him home, dropping him off. And I didn't use your bad. So I, he was living in Jersey City. So I parked the car, we get out, we're walking. And I looked at him, I go, I don't have a fucking thing going on in my career. I have nothing, no manager, no agent, nothing. He looks at me and goes, me too. There's not a goddamn thing happening for me. I was just two guys walking down the street going, not a fucking thing is going to happen or is going on with us. And we just go, oh, well. And, you know, went to his house, pissed and went home. Depressed with nothing going on. Didn't see him the next night in New York. And we just trash each other. Uh, you know, uh, he, we all looked up to each other. Me, him, Colin, Norman, Keith, Robinson, Bobby Kelly, Kevin Hart, you know. But the four of us that really hung out late at night the most was Patrice, Keith, me, and Norman. We would sit out till three, four in the morning trashing each other. People, other people would come along, we'd trash out, then they'd move on, and we'd sit out there. <laughs> and a little Kev came along, so he'd hang out. Making twenty million a movie now. <laughs> He's funny, man. He's a funny fucking. His dude. movies are funny too. I can't watch. Um, <laughs> I can watch it stand up. I think he's funny. I think he's a funny guy. You know, uh, you know, tough crowd. There was no better show than tough crowd. Yeah. None. Yeah. None. You know, last comic stand. Anything I did didn't come close to doing tough crowd. One, it was fifty minutes from my house in New York. Two was my friends. We hung out. Then we go out after him. He'd go down to the comedy cellar. Do what we do. Trash each other. So, what? where are you going to be in the next couple of months throughout the country? Oh, shit. You know, this summer was my, was kind of the slowest summer I've had in like 12 years, which was great. Uh-huh. I didn't pursue it. I, went, I, I was so getting so burnt down from traveling. I mean, there was one weeks. I remember one time I, I flew in and I had to leave the next day and I switched my flight two or three hundred bucks just to stay home a day before I left, you know, to hang out with my daughter and just to be home. Uh, so this, this is my, being in Utah right now is my first road gig in about six weeks. First road. I mean, I, I did I did some stuff on the road, you know, like Connecticut or upstate New York, but I could drive home after that. So if I could drive home, I don't consider going on the road, mm-hmm. even though it's a weekend away, you know, Friday and Saturday. Uh, How do you stay sane on the road? I play a lot of golf. I work out. You know, what else, you know? I, I always go home in between everything. I've never gone away more than four or five days. Well, Vegas is seven days, which is amazing. So, and I got through September, like we're August, I, I'm, well, I'm doing this. Then I go back to New York. I'm working a weekend in New York. Next week, my wife goes to Canada, so I have a week to just fuck around. Uh, and can I, I don't know. 
Like, do people have to talk so loud on the phone? Who what, what is he? What is is the other person deaf? Okay. Why can't why he come closer? He was sitting back for a yeah. Hey, excuse me. Excuse me on the phone. Buddy. Whoa. Excuse me. I guess that's why he's talking loud. He's deaf. Oh. Anyhow, I don't want to start fighting my first name in Utah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, next in August, I have uh, Long Island. Oh, we're doing a theater together. Myself, Bonnie, and Jim Florentine. We're doing a theater. So, bit September, October, wow, November. Again, it starts picking up like nonstop road shit again. So, it was kind of a great summer to work in New York City like four or five weekends. And, uh, what rooms do you work in New York? Anyone I want. Anyone? Yeah. yeah. But I've, I go to the stand a lot. The cellar once. I'll do I, I'm fucking, I, why, why do I hate this guy more than I hate anybody in the world? Are you kidding me? Let me photo for Can people, really, are people that unaware? Not that he knows what we're doing, but. That's all right, thanks. He said, sorry. Yeah. He said, uh, he's moving. No, he's okay. He's running out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, what a nice guy. What a nice He was unaware. And that's just me being uh You're an educator, sir. No, it's being a self-centered narcissist thinking the world revolves around me. Like, hey, you know, I'm doing a podcast. Everybody shut up in a hotel lobby. <laughs> you know, who, the, who the hell am I? <laughs> Can you take your family out of here? I know you're here for the morning goddamn parade. We're doing a podcast that four people are going to listen to. Uh, you know, it gets busy come September, October. Uh, we, we're trying to sell another movie, which we do have sold. Bonnie wrote the movie. It's brilliant. Get my hour special sold. My CD on, uh, that's already sold. I would like to see the money. That will start airing in August on Sirius. Uh, that CD is called 141 IQ. And the hour will come out somewhere. And I'll start working on something else. And Women Aren't Funny on iTunes, available on iTunes, Amazon. Yeah, Netflix. Get it from iTunes. I make money on iTunes. But Netflix, it's on Netflix. It did really well, the movie. So the next movie's going to bring us to another level. You're very funny on Twitter, at Rich Foss. Sometimes I like blocking people. Yeah, you trash people. It's fantastic. But in a entertaining rude way. Well, but a lot of them are just stupid. (laughs) they think they're funny they're not listen they're not you're not Bobby you're not Norm you're not Colin you're not my friend right you can't talk to me like my friends talk to me else you get blocked if you if you were clever and funny if you talk about buying a Rolls Royce on eBay that was 12 years ago let it go I never bought it I would have if it was nice okay let it go that ONA shit from 10 years ago it's gone it's done. It's the past. You know, unless you're, you know, uh, Louis Beans. All right, it's done. These people don't let go. Leave your basement. Get out, see the world. <laughs> Do something. So you're at Club 50 this weekend. Now, I got three different names for it. 50 West. It's Club, Club 50 West, yeah. Club 50 West. Yeah. On Main Street? Uh, on Broadway, on yeah. Broadway. Club 50 West, Friday and Saturday. Uh, 
I, I love Utah. I don't know what it is. There's a, it seems like there's some, it's a very serene state. It is. It is. It's very quiet. Very serene. We get a smog problem, which kind of sucks. Like, we got a thing called an inversion where... Two weeks out of the winter, it's just brutal. It's, it's gray and gross. Kind of like L.A., but like, yeah. but, but turned up a notch. Gets real cool. You get a lot of snow here? Uh, we get a decent amount. It was a bit of a dry winter last winter, but yeah. I mean, they call it the greatest snow on earth. You know, we've had, had the Olympics. Olympics yeah. yeah. Um, all the U.S. ski team trains here um, in the winter. So it's it's a real soft, powdery snow. It's not wet like yeah. the rest of the world. Neither is my wife. Uh, <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah. She has a dry, <laughs> powdery. Uh, do you, uh, is, it, is there a big drug problem in this city? Yeah. What did I just see? I saw something. I heard something on the news. There's a lot of meth here. Meth and heroin are big problems out here. Really? Yeah. The pill, the heroin pills, like uh, the, was it Oxycontin and. Really? Yeah. It's in very, Salt Lake? Yeah, in Salt Lake. It's a controlled city. There is a big intellectual hold on people here because of the religion. They're very strict on their people. The government is very Republican. Uh-huh. I mean, they fought against same-sex marriage. We're the last to have Martin Luther King holidays. So it's a very strict, very white culture. Church well, built a billion-dollar mall just down the street. Well, you don't have lottery here. No. Nope. You don't have casinos, do you? No. Nope. You have uh, a porn czar. You have what? A porn czar. What's that? A porn czar. Some a porn czar. C Z A R. Someone who's paid a lot of money to control porn in the city. Like you can't go and buy a porno video anywhere in town. Who does it anyhow? Well, Utah's number one for paid subscriptions to pornography as well. But before the internet boom, you couldn't go buy a Hustler video. Um, I guess you can't... Beer's weaker. Yeah, beer's weaker. Um, You have to go to a state liquor store to buy alcohol, and you have to pay a sin tax. And if you go to a strip bar, you have to pay a sin tax Uh because what they're doing is morally illegal. What what do you mean they build a mall? Uh, The the Mormon church financed a, a mall. That's just down the street. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Catholic Church—they all do that. They finance the Catholic uh, Church owns more property in New York than probably anybody. I mean, that's what they do. That's how they make money. Uh, in a nonprofit organization, they could do that and not pay taxes on it. Yeah. But there are a lot of great people here. It's mm-hmm. very kind. It's a very warm city, generally speaking. Yeah. And then you have the mountains and fish, beautiful golf hike. We get four full seasons. It's beautiful out here. It's yeah. I came from California. I came from Sacramento. It's yeah. big difference out here. How far is Reno from here? It's a 455, 455 miles. Something like uh, that. Yeah. Vegas must be uh, five hundred. Yeah, it's Vegas a, is about five hours. Six hour drive. Six hour drive. Yeah. But, but isn't California? Like, what's close to here? Not California. Arizona. Arizona. Colorado. Idaho. Idaho. Yeah. Montana. Wyoming. Wow. Yeah, we are really landlocked. Coming from California, it's, it's a big adjustment not to be by an ocean. Like, if you were by the ocean for a long period of time, it'd probably feel weird to you. But this is considered the Midwest? Or the, it's considered the West or mid, the, the west, west of the Midwest? Yeah, it's the West. West of the Mississippi. But you're still on Midwest time. Or mountain, mountain time. Oh. So we're two hours behind you. Yeah. Yeah. And how far is California? An hour? 10 to 12 hours. It was a 12-hour drive from Sacramento. Yeah. yeah. Sacramento's on the top of California, right? That's up in yeah, San Francisco, right? A little bit above it, like a couple hours above it. Oh. It's NorCal. Yeah. 
I've been to all these places, but I just can't piece them all together. Can't piece them together. Yeah, that was one thing I did want to ask you about. Uh, do you? Uh, is there a difference between LA clubs and New York clubs? Yeah, LA, uh, New York, New York doesn't let you get away with as much. LA audiences are. They're nicer, like new comics are delusional because they think they're doing well, but it's just because LA audiences are, you know, they're not as mean as New York audiences. And not mean in the way of like, they're just, they want, it costs more, New York costs more to live and move around. And New York is probably the most expensive city in the, you know, in the world, so when people are paying and going out, they want, they don't want shit, they don't yeah. let you know it. You know, and they see the best of the best. And same with LA, they see the best of the best. But also, in both places, you see the worst of the worst too, because that's where everybody wants to go start. Thinking, I'm going to LA, or I'm going to New York. You know, try to get good first where you're from, and then go there. You know, at some other point. So, if you're a Salt Lake comic, four, five, six years in, where's the best, the next stepping stone for them? Depends what they want out of. Uh, excuse me. I mean, if you want to be an actor, so I don't know. L.A. There's so much more going on. If you're your own creator, and you can, I don't know either one. I, I I like New York for comedy. I think the best comics come out of New York. Boston too. Boston, oh, definitely Boston, without a doubt, Boston. But that was more back in the day. Mm-hmm. I don't know about now, but definitely Boston. Even Boston more than New York at some points, in, you know, throughout times. Great comics from Boston. Like Jimmy Tango, Gavin, Lenny Clark, Kevin Meany, Kenny Rogerson, Billy, Patrice, Stephen Wright, Jay Leno, all of them. Boston. Mm-hmm. Boston had great comics. Dane Cook's from Boston, too, right? Who? Dane Cook. Yeah, Dane. Joe Rogan. Um, yeah, Joe Rogan. Yeah. Wendy Liebman is from Boston, I think. Uh, Paula Poundstone, I think, was from yeah. Boston. So many great comics came out of Boston. San Francisco. New York, LA, and my fucking house. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the best, Mr. Boss. I'm okay. No, you're, you're a right. good man. I'm okay. I'm just, you know, well, look at time flies when yes. you want to blow off a podcast. <laughs> uh, how much time do we do enough? Yeah, we're, yeah we're good. We're, we're good. Yeah. Well, come to you. Come to see me at fifty. Uh, what's it called? Club Fifty West. Club Fifty West. Is it set up? Is it yeah. set up like a comedy club? Yeah. It's got the comedy feel. Mm-hmm. Good. So we'll see you then. Thank you for having me. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Fuck yourself.